Bombing down Poinsettia, Chapter 5. Theatrical Misery Masquerade. Angela showed up along with the landlord to check on Mark and I the night police raided our fucking apartment. Yeah. Angela came in and tried to doctor me and wash rag on my back and shit. I just need a beer, hon, okay? Needless to say, Mark and I didn't sleep the rest of the night. We spent the remainder of the early morning hours cleaning up our fucking apartment, throwing shit in the dumpster that had been fucking destroyed. Why was there a boot print in the goddamn refrigerator door? What the fuck was that all about? Well, needless to say, by the next morning, I was on the phone with them shyster lawyers you always see on TV. Yeah. Talking to him, despite the cuts on my wrists and ankles and the beatings and bruises on my back and neck, didn't make a shit bit of difference. I stood no chance in court, according to him. Two white guys stole a car in Long Beach. And during the pursuit, one was hanging out the window shooting at the police. Yeah. So the squad cars backed off, and the chopper followed the stolen car into our apartment complex. Of all the fucking stairwells, the guy who stole the car could have run up. He run up Mark's stairwell to the back door. Mark wakes up to this man banging on the back door. He peers out the window, and the guy says, Let me in, or I'll blow your fucking brains out. Mark immediately shoves his dresser up against the door and runs out the fucking front door. The man kicks in the back door and goes and lays down and hides in the bathtub. Mark is tackled by police on our front doorsteps. Mark says, hey man, I live here. He's up there. He's got a gun. Damn. He forgot to tell him about me. Yeah. I was fast asleep, of course. You know the rest. You know, at that point, I know Mark was probably about the end of his rope with me. My drug use is out of control. He had spent more and more time over at his sister's house in Bellflower. I realized I was going to have to break it off with Angela. I just, I didn't know how. I mean, fuck. I just didn't sack up against her. No, not until... Another fucking run-in with the Los Angeles Police Department. I guess I always knew deep down there was a good chance of my ass getting pulled over, you know. Over there on the west side of Compton, shit you out, 1988. I just stick out. I was a red-headed fucking beacon. So getting stopped by the police, I figured, yeah, eventually it's probably going to happen. You just don't think it ever will. You see, what I wasn't counting on was that it would happen during the day. I'd be carrying over $2,000 worth of dope on me in the fucking boot. Yeah. Angela was real careful when she packaged it. She told me, this is a big amount, over two k. That's why I went early in the day. I was hoping I could catch him during the shift change. Yeah. Never try to figure out the schedule of police department, dumbass. I was driving north on Main. I had a boot full of shit, and I was on my leopard print fucking motorcycle. That Triumph shit that belonged to Axl Rose. Yeah, the bump in my right leg boot, eh, it wasn't real visible, but it was noticeable. LAPD pulled me over. Damn it. I wasn't even a mile from the Don Dominguez apartments. 
As a matter of fact, I'd barely passed that fucking blimp when a police car come out of nowhere and lit my ass up. It was a real quick exchange. Before I could even get my fucking wallet out, the cop was already on me. Yeah. He was kind of a young guy, brown hair. And I, as best as I can remember, he was alone. All I was thinking about was that fucking bump in my right boot. <laughs> oh, shit, man. All it required was a pat down. Had things gone differently that day, my entire life never would have been the same. Before the officer walked up, I'd already begun to mentally prepare myself for jail. I did. Oh, shit. I was prepared to go to jail. There's no way I ever would have turned on R.D. and Angela. And I guess it wasn't until that officer was walking up there that I realized. (laughs) Yeah, Angela knew that too. great haste to look innocent and comply i killed the motor on the bike and lowered the kickstand as the officer approached you don't have to turn it off the officer said in a nice voice that stopped me i'd never heard kind words out of the mouths of those fuckers before it kind of took me off guard i'm sorry sir i said while scrambling to get my license out he stepped up right up alongside of me to my left i said you don't have to turn the bike off man I pulled my license out of my wallet anyway and tried to hand it to him. No, 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 he rejected. You don't need that. You didn't do anything wrong. My head kind of flinched backwards. <laughs> I didn't? Why was I so special, I thought. Yes, sir? I asked, somewhat confused. The officer did a double take when he picked up on my accent. <laughs> he looked around the neighborhood we were in, then back at me. Yeah, man, I just... I pulled you over because i got to ask you something. Are you lost? Wow, I thought. He thinks I'm lost. He's worried I might be lost. Holy shit. Yeah, realizing that my Oklahoma accent would finally fucking pay off, I went with it. Yes, sir, I said frankly, stuffing my license back in my wallet. I uh, got turned around. I'm trying to find my way back to the freeway. I'm from Oklahoma. I work at American Ensign. I live at the Don Dominguez Apartments. I'm just trying to get home. Upon saying that, the young officer of brown hair smirked, shook his head, then motioned for me to follow him. (laughs) Well, I'll escort you over to the 110 freeway, he said, while walking back to his car. You got to get out of here before you get shot. I sat there on the edge of my seat. I was in total disbelief. I couldn't fucking believe it. I started my motorcycle. Yeah, I made a U-turn right there on Main, and I followed him right over to the Los Angeles freeway. As I passed, you know, as I passed his car under the overpass to get to the on-ramp, yeah, we gave each other a real nice friendly wave, and, and my dope and I merged back up on the L.A. freeway and went home. Yeah. Needless to say, it wasn't easy making the short drive back to Don Dominguez because the adrenaline and the fear and the rush I don't know how the fuck I maintained my composure but once I was on that freeway I was shaking so bad I could hardly drive it was a short yet long shaky fucking drive 
You want to talk about a fucking wake-up call, to say the least. I hardly even gave the young woman I'd been sharing a bed with for three months a fucking chance. Shared a bed. Shit, we didn't share shit. I guess that's why I ended it the way I did. I didn't lock my bike. I didn't even knock. I just went in the fucking patio door. She was still sitting on the couch watching TV. That was fast, she remarked without looking away. I sat down next to her on the sofa, pulled my boot off, and spilled the shit right out in front of her on the floor. I got pulled over by a fucking cop. Immediately, she turned towards me with her eyes wide. What? Yeah, I confirmed while putting my boot back on. I was driving up Maine, got pulled over by a fucking cop. My God, Stan, Angela said softly as she began to inventory the drugs I just dumped on the floor. So I take it he didn't search you. No, he didn't fucking search me, Angela. I snapped a little contempt. He thought I was lost. My face fell into my hands. I rubbed my eyes and let out a large sigh. When I looked back up at Angela, she had a huge smile on her face. Lost? Yeah, I began. He he gave me an escort over the 110 freeway. Upon saying that, Angela smiled. He gave you an escort? Yeah, over to the fucking 110, I said. He was afraid I was going to get shot up there. By then, Angela had her face buried in one of the small pillows on the sofa, full-blown laughing. It's not fucking funny, Angela, I griped. I'm not doing this shit anymore. I am not fucking doing this shit anymore. Upon saying that, I got up, I walked out, I slammed the door, and, um, yeah, that was the last time I saw that apartment. Unfortunately, my decision to break away from Angela hadn't come soon enough. Yeah, American Ensign cut me loose. My boss, Cheryl, desperately tried to get me to help myself, but after a brief stint in that rehabilitation program, I was right back to the same point where I started, yeah. They didn't have a choice but to let me go. So I grabbed the few belongings I had at the desk, right next to Juan, said goodbye to all my friends I'd made for the last time, stepped out of that office, and, well... Unfortunately, Mark had also lost his patience, like I say. He he informed me he had already found another place, and he was going to be moving in less than a month without me in tow. So, for the first time, I made an honest attempt to leave Dope alone and start looking for work. Needless to say, Angela didn't like it. I'd gone to her. I'd repeat it to her, you know, when she'd be paging me, R.D. would be paging me. And I took the pager over to her, and I said, mine, I don't want it anymore. All she did was get mad and threw me out of her apartment, told me to fuck off. (laughs) I knew she was only pissed because she'd lost her fucking cash cow. It's going to be up to her now. That's right. I wasn't going to be her mule anymore. I was finished. I mean, I was stupid for doing it in the first fucking place. Turns out that just happened to be the wisest move I made as an 18-year-old. I'd actually gone up to Alpha Beta to apply for a job. I mean, I'd been up there so many times, you know, to make drug trades and to do legitimate grocery shopping. I knew everybody by face, so, hey, I thought I might have a shot. Mark wasn't going to leave for a few weeks, so we still had the answering machine and the phone working. Yay! I was returning home from Alpha Beta. I turned into the most southern entrance of Don Dominguez Apartments, right by the front office. As soon as I rounded that corner, holy shit, I came face to face with, once again, the LAPD. There was a lot of them. 
Yeah, some of them unmarked, some of them in the DEA jackets and shit. Oh, there were no less than like six or seven cars parked in front of Angela's apartment. Yeah, on the street and in front of the apartment. I hit my brakes at first. I At first, I, I was going to circle around, but when one of the cops looked up and saw me, I figured it'd be too inconspicuous to turn around, so I continued on. Oh, my God. I had Angela held down over the hood of one of the cars. Yeah, a young officer is holding her down. Let me tell you right now, I could see her screaming, cussing, the policeman subduing her, putting her down. I mean, she was throwing her head back and forth like a fucking striking cobra. That was a relief. As long as she was looking at that cop, she wasn't looking at me. I mean, at that point, I was clean. I hadn't been running dope for a little bit now, you know, let alone using it. If Angela had seen me, she would have yelled. She would have hollered out at me. Fuck yeah. Needless to say, that would have drawn the attention of the cops. And believe you me, I didn't want any more attention from the fucking Los Angeles Police Department. Fortunately, she didn't even look at me as my bike rolled by. She didn't even look my direction. God, she was so fucking young. She's in a pair of shorts and what looked like that old sweatshirt she was wearing the first night we met. I dodged a pothole in the service road as I got ready to round the corner over to the carports. As for Angela's arrest, I could only surmise it had been over dope. And had I still been involved, I would have been going to jail with her. Her entire operation had obviously been discovered and they shut her ass down. For all I knew, they got RD too, but I doubted it. I never knew the facts about that case, but as my motorcycle cleared the scene of the raid at Angela's apartment, I glanced over at the rearview mirror. The cop holding her over the hood was still trying to temper the very spirited young woman. Uh, there'd be no right to remain silent on Angela's watch. No, no. <laughs> I actually smiled at the sight of her continuing to graze on that cop's ass. She was partially bowed up off the hood. Or I can almost guess the expletive she was throwing out at the man. My motorcycle made the lazy right-hand turn on the service drive. I never saw her again. Like I say, we still had the answering machine, and one day I came home, and Mark had a message for me. Susan Strasberg's personal assistant had left a message on our answering machine. I could not fucking believe it. I had dreamed about it. Now, it was a fucking reality. There was a message from Susan Strasberg on Mark's fucking answering machine for me. And I was cordially invited to audition for Susan's class at her home in Beverly Hills. Mark helped me work out the directions to Susan's house and the Thomas Guide. I wrote everything I needed down, filled my bike up with gas, and for the first time drove up to Hollywood and beyond completely alone. I mean, is it just me, or does the fucking sun just shine brighter in Beverly Hills? I parked my highly criminal-looking Triumph on the street directly in front of Susan's two-story corner and walked up to the front door. 
took a couple of knocks for a woman I really can't recall opened the door. Hi, are you Brent? Yeah, hi, I cheerfully replied. Brit. Yeah. That, that was the name I gave him. Brit White, my new stage name. I was having a 100% certifiable identity crisis, and my new name was now Brit. As far as I was concerned, there, was, now there were only three people in L.A. Metro who knew what my real name was, and one of them was in fucking jail. Yeah. God only knows how long, too. Mark wouldn't give a shit that I'd changed my name to Britt White for acting. Jessica? Yeah, she wasn't talking to me. <laughs> Ever since I had taken her with me on a dope run to Compton, yeah, we ran out of gas on that motorcycle. You bet. It happened. I mean, I had to push my motorcycle all the way back to Don Dominguez Apartments. <laughs> I mean, it was only about three quarters of a mile or so. Were we in danger? No. R.D. had always made it clear to me as long as I hadn't gone sightseeing, we'd be okay. So uh, Jessica was just pissed because all the way back to the Don Dominguez, bangers kept driving by laughing, screaming, Bear you bitch, man! Bear you bitch! <laughs> anyway, my new acting stage name was going to be Britt White, and, you know, if I was going to audition for the daughter of the actor's studio founder, it wasn't going to be a stand shit kicker. Britt, just walk around back to the studio, and Susan, she'll be out in just a moment, the woman who answered the door instructed me. I was so fucking nervous. I had nothing prepared. Really? I had an old monologue in my head from, like, high school drama class or something I was going to go with. I just wanted to meet her, and I was convinced that if I could meet her, I could convince her I'd be good enough for her class. I, I went in like that. Can you fucking believe it? I got to the studio out back, separate building, and opened the nice. It was just like a cottage, and I walked in, and immediately the first thing I saw I'm convinced it was Hank Azaria. He said his name was Hank. Italian-looking guy in a T-shirt, jeans, and boots. Abso-fucking-lutely. Setting on a, setting a chair there in Susan's studio, and as soon as I walked in, he stood up. Hey, man, how are you? Hey, how are you? I replied. Name's Hank. Stan. Shot back. We only talked for a few minutes, comparing notes. He had asked me what I was doing out there. I told him how I just jumped in the car and drove out, and upon saying that, of course, he laughed. Sounds exactly like me, man. I was just starting to get comfortable and laughing and yucking it up with him when suddenly, yeah, the door opened. Susan was a mid-height, middle-aged woman with uh, chin-length hair, wore glasses at the time. I knew her anyway. She walked in started talking to Hank. I sat down in the, you know, desk chair that Hank had been sitting in. I was I was really nervous now. This was Susan Strasberg. Oh, my God. I'm not even hearing what they're saying. I'm just looking at the pictures on the wall. I'm looking at the pictures of Susan and Marilyn Monroe, Susan and Clark Gable, Susan and Jack Lemon. Holy shit. <sighs> Susan and James Garner. God, my mom. His friends with somebody that knew James Garner, I thought. 
Not that that make a shit. I had nothing prepared for this woman. And she is ready to see what I can deliver. After everybody said their goodbyes and Hank was out, Susan cordially turned around and greeted me. Hi, Britt. How are you? I'm fine, ma'am. Are you an actor? Uh, Yes, ma'am, I said. I'd like to be a better one. What brings you to me, she asked as she sat down in the desk chair. I told her I was familiar with her dad's work and even some of her work. I told her about my ambitions to study method acting and be a better actor someday. She then waited patiently for my monologue, which I had pretty much half-assed prepared, but it really was a pretty one. I just can't fucking remember it. I took a breath. I stepped back to the center of the room, and without saying a word, I began. It wasn't Shakespeare, okay? Yeah. It was probably like donkey-ass enterprises, stage play shit productions or something. I really don't know. I can't remember the monologue. Susan watched quietly from her desk chair, her legs crossed and one index finger up on her cheek. Yeah, I noticed. When all was said and done, I felt embarrassment. I felt anxiety. I looked down and I apologized for not having prepared something better for her. Upon saying that, Susan stood up took my hands and said, Are you kidding me? That was beautiful. I love that. Really? I said in disbelief, looking her right in the eye. Yeah, she reassured me. I hate it when actors come before me and think they have to do the most dramatic, crazy scenes. Her hair and arms flailed in every direction. And it drives me crazy, because those are the easiest scenes in the world to do. Let out a slight giggle. I was thrilled. Why wouldn't I be? I was having a conversation with Susan Strasberg in her studio in Beverly Hills. I was there. Susan had her personal assistant give me the address of where the classes are going to be held, give me the price, and well, I had the first legitimate $175. Mark was pretty happy for me when I got back to Carson. Nothing had changed, of course. He was already packing his boxes. He had boxes scattered about in his bedroom and everything. I mean, shit was still fucked up. The police had destroyed, but ah, the custodians, they had repaired the doors, at least. I was feeling good, though. I had a little bit of stash of money put back, and I don't know why I wasn't feeling bad. I should have been scared shitless. I was going to be homeless again in less than a month, a couple of weeks maybe. Now, I was still in good spirits, and it emboldened me enough to take a look at the classifieds in the L.A. Times. Once again, this time, help wanted actors section. There was an ad in the classifieds. Caught my eye right away. There's an ad looking for extras in a movie. Only paid $30 a day, but it's a hell of a lot more than I was making at the time. So, yep. Before Mark packed up the phone, I picked it up and I called. Right over the phone, the guy gave me the address, call time for the very next morning. 
I was happy to have a job. I was happy to have an appointment the very next day. Yay! I mean, I was happy to finally have work-related obligations. It was nice. It really felt fucking good. Yeah. I slept better that night. Mark stated to the sisters in Bellflower. Next day, I showed up on the set of the movie in Venice Beach. It was called The Mask of the Red Death. Hey, one of the stars is Patrick McNee. Remember him? Yeah. James Bond's driver in View to a Kill. Yeah. I recognized him for a movie I'd seen as a kid called Wolfen. It was a shitty movie about werewolves that didn't make any sense. But hey, it was still cool to be working with him. The plot of the film Mask of the Red Death surrounded uh, some kind of bullshit plague which ripped through a society during some jack-off century, but I didn't give a shit. I was just excited to be on the set of my first movie and be working with Patrick McNee. I could finally put something on my fucking resume. Left the bike parked out on the street nice and fucking chained up. Gained entrance onto the lot through a tall enclosed gate. And immediately, it was like stepping back in the fucking time. The ground was actual dirt, not concrete. I found myself standing in the middle of an ancient village with stone walls and buildings and catacombs and shit. Yeah, all the actors and actresses were... Dressed accordingly, too. I was the only one. Yeah, I stood there in my Levi jeans, Bauhaus t-shirt, and sunglasses. Hey, I look pretty cool, though. One of the directors sent me to wardrobe. After taking measurements, the ladies fitted me into the pants and shirt of a peasant. Then they took my sunglasses and sent me over to the guy who handled footwear. Well, I was on my way across the set when an assistant director unexpectedly grabbed my arm. He didn't ask me if I wanted to go. There was no debate. He just said he needed me in a shot, so I played along. I was led into a mocked-up ballroom. Immediately, I saw the camera. I saw the directors. I saw everybody. Holy shit. You know, I wasn't the only one lured in. Everybody was brought in, forced in. There were long tables and lit torches everywhere. People were, you know, sitting everywhere, both sitting and standing. The assistant positioned me next to some extras in the corner in no time at all. The cameras are rolling. I didn't know what to do, so I just stood there. Yeah. My eyes darted around the room looking for Patrick McNee. I didn't see him. That fucker outside was probably full of shit. My eyes hadn't even had a chance to really get used to the darkened room before... Cut! The director shouted after only a few seconds. He grumbled to one of his assistants, but I couldn't hear what was said. Suddenly, one of his assistants walked towards me. Hey, man, he said, gesturing towards my feet. You gotta lose those, man. I looked down. Fuck. I was the only shit-teenth-century peasant wearing Converse. Fuck. See, I didn't get a chance to go to footwear, fuckers. Wardrobe didn't give you any? The assistant asked while escorting me off the set. I didn't even make it there, I tried to explain. Once off the set, I returned to wardrobe under the watchful eye of the assistant director, or whoever the fuck it was. I went straight to the guy in charge of shoes. Unfortunately, all he had left were women's shoes. Great. Did your agent tell you to bring shoes? The wardrobe guy asked. No, I answered, fearing they were going to 
kick me out of the movie. Nobody said anything to me. My agent fucked up. I wasn't going to tell him I answered an ad in the paper. 20-something-year-old wardrobe guy shook his head in disgust. Fucking figures. I watched as he rummaged around in the wardrobe cases. You have any leather shoes in your car? The man grimaced, glancing back at my feet. No, sir. This is all I got, I said. I got some, a voice bellowed out from behind me. I looked over. There was a dude walking over across the exterior of the set. He, too, was in peasant pants but wearing a leather biker jacket and a pair of sunglasses. He had shoulder-length blonde hair, combed to the back, exposing a premature receding hairline. He was a young guy, my age. For a second, I thought he worked there or something because he was sure loud announcing that he had shoes for me. He strode it over past the peasant girls in Levi's and boots. He walked with a lot of confidence, a lot of swag in that swagger. Yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. You need shoes, man? Bro, please tell me you have some shoes he can wear, wardrobe said, referring to me. Young guy stepped up beside, cupped his hand over my shoulder. Yeah, I got him covered. Same time he looked down, saw my sneakers, and smiled. Oh, shit, that won't work. Yeah, I concurred with a grin. Walk with me, man, he said, walking back out towards the front of the studio lot. I followed. As we strolled down the street towards his parked van, he turned back and shook my hand. I'm Barrick. I shook it graciously. Britt. Two of us strolled up the boulevard till we reached a cargo van parked not too far from my motorcycle. Barrick jerked open the sliding doors, pulled out a couple of lawn chairs, some boxes, and ta-da, a pair of brown leather shoes. Fucking A. Here you go, Kimasabi, Barrick said, handing me the shoes while simultaneously running his hand through his hair. I was so fucking grateful, I kicked the converse off right there in the boulevard. and yeah, They were a little snug, but I put them on. I was glad to have them on my fucking feet. The guy who saved my ass and kept me from getting fired from that fucking movie and I walked back to the set. I worked on that movie, Mask of the Red Death, for several days. Like I say, the money was shit, but by the end of the week... I had $90 more than I had at the beginning of it. Yeah, what's more important is I had another friend. Barrick was really cool. Plus, I got to speak to Mr. Patrick McNee. That's right. Yeah, I finally fucking met him. We just finished filming a ballroom scene. It was so damn hot and dark in those fucking rooms. Oh, it was miserable. I couldn't wait to get back outside when the director finally wrapped the scene. Me and the other extras were all making our way outside, and there was Mr. McNee standing in the corner of the room right by the exit. Ah, he had obviously been standing there watching the latest take, cooling off next to the door. As we all filed past him, our eyes met, and I had to say something. I mean, how, how many chances did he get to talk to Patrick McNee? I loved you and Wolfen, I said out loud. I didn't stutter. Sure as fuck wish I had. I said it with a bit of conviction. And to my surprise, hey, I got a, I got a response. Being the absolute gentleman Mr. Patrick McNee was, looked right at me again, winked, and said, Ah, Wolfen, thank you. Good picture. I'm sure that was probably a pre-programmed response, being that Wolfen was a shit picture, but... I liked him in it anyway. 
I didn't think I'd see Barrick again after the film wrapped. For that matter, I don't think we were in too many scenes together, but we always hung out between takes. I mean, I really liked the guy, but I, I can't tell you what I liked about him. We were just friends. We didn't have to say very much. We really didn't. We said a lot, especially when we didn't speak. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were times for convo and times to not say a fucking thing. Just kicking it on a set. Yeah, and that's what we did. During the shoot, he had told me they lived in Hacienda Heights with his mom and dad. His mom was a homemaker, and his dad was an elevator mechanic, I guess. The other thing I learned about Barrick was, whoo-wee, he loved to smoke weed. Oh, yeah, love, love, love to smoke weed. Yeah, this is back in the illegal days, folks. And, by the way, I'm so sorry. Remove the O from loved and replace it with I. Lived, lived to smoke weed. Barrick lived to smoke weed, and let me tell you right now, he didn't smoke homegrown dirt shit either. Uh-uh. That shit Barrick smoked, yeah, turned you into a Mandarin translator in no time at all. <laughs> anyway, after the film wrapped on The Mask of the Red Death in Venice, I was pretty sure I wouldn't see my new friend again. By the end of that week, Mark had moved out, and I was alone in the apartment. Being that he was still staying with his sister for another week or so, he was gracious enough to leave the phone. I mean, they still hadn't unhooked it. It should have been turned off days ago, but it was still working, and that was enough for me. I didn't have the answering machine, but I had the fucking phone. Still, it was pretty lonely without Mark being there. I mean, there was no Angela either. Her apartment was empty and dark. One night I walked over and I looked inside. The drapes that had hung over the sliding glass patio door had been taken down for cleaning. The apartment, you could see all the way through, it was completely bare. No couch, no chairs, no drapes, no TV. No bath towels all over the fucking floor. And yeah, I'm sure she's probably still sitting in jail. In a way, it was, was kind of sad. The two people who had played such a huge role in my life the past several months were gone now. I, even Albino Macho had vanished. It seemed like everybody was gone. The only one that was around still was Anya. She was busting my ass every day. Yeah, she managed the Don Dominguez apartments constantly hounding me about fucking rent. I didn't have it. I walked back over to my empty apartment in my Carl's Jr. sack and headed on back upstairs to the new front door of my empty-ass apartment. I guess momentarily I felt a little sorry for myself. That's going to wrap it up for Bombing Down Poinsettia this week. Make sure you tune in next week right here on the Stand the Joke Man show for Bombing Down Poinsettia Chapter 6. The Naked Bride. Same time, same place. That's next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Stand the Joke Man Show back on Friday, high noon. Till then, bye, Kendeos, me amigos.